until this battle station is fully operational, we are vulnerable. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. They're more dangerous than you realize. Dangerous to your Starfleet, Commander, not to this battle station. The Rebellion will continue to gain a support in the Imperial Senate. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. Possible. How will the Emperor maintain control of the bureaucracy? The regional governors now have direct control over their territories. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. And what of the rebellion? If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of this station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. The plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release me. As you wish. <sighs> I bet you didn't think that Darth Vader would be the one to share with us a truth about spiritual life. And yet he does. That a lack of faith produces a chokehold in your life and in mine. Why do I say that? Because the, our English word worry actually comes from a Germanic term that means to have a chokehold, to strangle. And that is exactly what takes place in a person's life when, fear, or when faith walks out and fear steps in. Fear begins, worry begins to take a chokehold and begins to strangle a person to the point where now their faith is far away from where they are. You see, what's amazing to me is that lots of people understand this truth. Advertisers understand this truth. Politicians understand this truth. The media totally understands this truth, that fear has the ability to strangle us. And that's why uh, all these groups tend to prey on our fears. Uh, can, I, can I ask you this question, if you don't mind? Uh, how many of you actually have an alarm system for your house? Yeah, by the way, those of you that maybe you're thinking about stealing something, look at everyone whose hand is not up. Um, but here's the thing. I have, a, I have an alarm system in my house. And, and, and you know what the funny thing is? And you probably didn't really think about it like this. But however it is that it worked, here's what took place. At, at, you probably didn't do this. You didn't like move into your neighborhood and think like my next door neighbor, that looks like somebody who wants to steal my sofa. I better get alarmed. Um, but instead, you just, because of all the ads, all the stuff, you know, there's this, you know, you see the, the, the different commercials and that, you know, they kind of like pray, play up the idea of someone breaking in and, and you know, stealing stuff from you. So I, I got to get protected. That's why, you know, they do this. I, I don't know if you've uh, bought tires recently, but every time I go and buy tires, I have like the same sensation. Uh, I have this picture in my mind of that commercial, you know, with the baby. That's just the baby in the diaper and there's in the little tire and it's just going around and says, you know, so much is riding on your tires. 
And I start thinking, you know, so, so then I start thinking, like, if I buy cheap tires, does it mean I don't love my family? Does it mean that I'm putting them in harm's way? So then I start spending more money on tires than I should, but it's like it just makes me feel better because they've been kind of preying on, on my fear. You know, the same thing happens, like, uh, we just came out of what people are calling the most negative political uh, season in, in America's history. And here's why. is because all these candidates, all the parties understand that negative ads work better than positive ones. In fact, there's some candidates that never even told you what it is that they were going to do. They just attacked the other person because they recognize that if they can actually play up your fear of what would happen if that other person got elected, you'll probably end up voting for them, even though you have no idea what it is that this person is going to actually do. And uh, you see it even, you know, you turn on CNN, right? What does CNN stand for? Constantly negative news. And, uh, what, you know, you turn it on and what happens? It's like they just, they're not telling you the good things that are happening in the world. They just start giving you all these headlines that just put fear in you, you know. And then they do it with a smile. That's, I think, the part that bothers me the most, you know. Uh, they'll, they'll do something like this. They'll be like, is the water you're drinking killing you tonight at 11? You know, like, how can you, I don't know, is it? And, and the thing that's amazing to me is, is what happens. It's exactly what we saw in the clip. Is that fear and worry have this opportunity to choke out faith. I had two friends in high school that didn't like each other. And, uh, you know, we had this whole group of us that used to hang out. And so we'd, you know, whatever, make plans for the weekend or whatnot. But they didn't like, even though they were, he, each of these two people were friends with all of us, they didn't like each other. And so every time, you know, we'd be maybe hanging out at somebody's house and they, one would be there, the other person would show up, the one guy would leave. Uh, you know, imagine going to the movies with these two people. That was a nightmare. You know, I'm going to this one. I'm going to that one. I'm out of here. Um, but it was it, exa- it's the same thing that happens when it comes to fear and faith, what happens to worry and trust. You see, when fear comes in, faith goes out the door. When worry comes in, trust leaves as well. When faith comes into the situation, fear is the one that has to run. When trust comes into a circumstance, it's worry and doubt that have to leave. And see, that's why this, what we're talking about today is so important. Jesus told a story in the Gospel of Mark. It's also in the Gospel of Matthew as well. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, we talked about these four types of soil. Maybe you, some of you remember the story where Jesus talks about this, um, the sower goes out to sow seed. And some of it falls on this stony ground. You know, it falls by the wayside. And then the birds just come and snatch it up. All right, well, you know, you lost that one. And then some falls on this area where it, there's no there's no ability to get to have to dig roots where this other seed falls. And so the sun comes out, scorches it and it's done. Then there's another, which is the last one, the fourth one that bears tremendous fruit because it falls on good soil. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, 100 times what was planted is what is produced. But there's this third one that it says that it falls among weeds. And then as it falls among weeds, it gets choked out. Exactly what we saw. In fact, listen to what it says. And it's in your notes in Mark chapter 4. It says, The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things that they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they've heard and nothing comes of it. You see... The thing that eliminates worry and fear in your life and in mine is faith and trust. Because without those two things, you and I can't grow. And that's why as we're continuing in this series that we're calling uh, New Testament Challenge, 
I, I felt like this was a really important time for us as a church to talk about this challenge of trust, because I believe that without trust and faith in God and what he it is, what he is going to do in our lives, it is impossible for us to grow. And listen, we are living in a time when we really need to have faith and to have trust in what God can do. Because if you turn on the news and you hear what people are talking about, and as they're talking about the stock market and the housing market and the job market and all of that, listen, it is filling people with fear. It's filling people with anxiety. It's filling people with worry. But friends, for us, we don't have to live like that. You see, we can actually continue to grow in our faith and be that soil that bears tremendous fruit. But here's what it's going to take. It's going to take trusting God even when it's difficult. You see, a lot of times we'll give lip service to trusting God. You trust, oh man, I'm trusting God, I'm believing in God. But really when it comes down to it, when we have a choice as to whether we're going to trust God or not, that's when we have to decide if we really trust or not. So the question that we have to answer is, how do we build a life of trust? How do we live the kind of life that shows that we trust God? I believe there's four ways that Jesus lays out for us. And if you have your Bible, you can open it to the Gospel of Matthew Chapter six, if not, all the verses are there in your outline. and You can follow along there. But here's the first one, the first of the four ways. The first is this, if you're taking notes, is I need to notice God's care. I need to notice God's care. Here's how Jesus would say it in Matthew chapter six. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are they not much? Are they not much more valuable? Are you not much more valuable than they? If you pause there and give me your attention, what's happening? Jesus is saying this when people as Jesus brings up this idea of worry, he says, what you've got to do is this. Notice God's care. God's care of who? Notice how God cares about birds. I mean, think about it. God's actually caring about about birds. Yeah, I mean, because you can tell a lot about someone just by the little things. You see, sometimes you're just looking at the overarching things. You can tell a lot about someone just by the simple things. Um, I have a friend who's a doctor, and uh, but I wouldn't ever let him touch me or operate on me, even though we're friends. And uh, the reason is, is that every time I go to his house, uh, he has, you know, every project that he does on his house is never done right. It's always like halfway you know, he'll like kind of mow his lawn and then but he won't like edge the lawn, you know, so it like still looks terrible, you know. And my feeling is like if you can't weed whack around a tree, I'm not going to let you cut out my spleen. You know, it's just one of my personal rules. Um, and yet it's just a, you say, well, that was it was just a simple thing. You know, Disney has made an empire out of what? Just doing a lot of simple things, doing focusing on a lot of little things, because their idea is if you can do a lot of little things right, it'll create a great overarching uh, experience. And, you know, if God is and the idea that Jesus is giving is if God is concerned about birds. You and I shouldn't have anything to worry about because he says you're worth much more than birds. I mean, have you ever seen a bird that had a will work for food sign? I don't think so. I've never seen a bird that's been in therapy or counseling over the financial stress that they're under. No, you know what? They're not worried about it. And here's why. They just know what happens. They know that God has always been faithful to provide for them, and they know that he always will. Does that mean that birds aren't still flying around? They're like, oh, you know, God's going to provide for me. I can just hang out in my nest. And, you know, 
maybe pick up a little direct TV and just see kind of what's happening, you know, on the watch like a nature show or something. So that's kind of my world. And uh, no, they're, they're doing their they continue to do their part, trusting that God will do his part. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 32. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. You see, if you want to begin to allow this chokehold of worry and fear to remove it, if you want to remove the chokehold of worry and fear and start living a worry-free life, here's what it takes. It takes being confident even in troubling times. And that begins by noticing how God cares for his own. That's the first step, is to notice how God cares, how he even cares for birds. The second thing is this. If I'm going to live a life and I'm going to remove worry and build faith and trust in my life, here's what it takes, is that I need to redirect my focus. Here's how Jesus would say it. He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? You see how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, once again, Jesus is appealing to nature to just show us how much he cares. And what we have to do is redirect our focus. You see, too many times the reason that we're worried, the reason that we have a lack of fear and uh, our lack of faith and fear comes into our lives is because we're focused on the wrong things. Now, here's how the Apostle Paul would write it. Uh, It's in your notes in Philippians chapter four. It says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you heard and received and and learned and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. What's God's remedy for removing worry here? The same thing that Jesus says, redirect your focus. What we tend to do is just focus completely on the problem. Focus completely on what could potentially happen. And here's the thing that God is saying to us. If there is something that is noble, something that is true, not something that's potentially true, something that is true, something that's worthy of good report, something that's lovely, something that's pure, something that's, that's worthwhile, something that's just, meditate on that. And you say, well, meditate, what, what does that mean? Now, when you say meditate, are you talking about like getting in the lotus position and chanting, um, right, and like contemplating my connection to the universe? That's not what, what meditating according to the Bible is. Meditating according to the Bible is a Hebrew word that simply means to seriously think or give careful consideration to a particular subject. Can I ask you this? How many of you have ever like really worried before in your life? Like you've really, not like, oh man, I'm kind of, I mean, you've really worried in your life. Okay, look, all of that, look at this, all of us then know how to meditate. You say, how's that? Because if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because all that it is, I mean, think about what it is when you worry. When you worry, here's what you do. You start thinking about that one issue. And then as you think about that one issue, my house, my car, the job, career, whatever. And then you start thinking about it. 
And just going over it and over it. And you're thinking like every possible horror movie scenario that could potentially take place. And the thing that happens, and it's kind of like this, you know, it's, it's like when you go to Boston Market and they have the chicken on the rotisserie wheel, right? It's like that's what you do with the worry. You have the problem and you just like spin it on the rotisserie wheel. Why they call it Boston Market, I have no idea because the chicken ain't from Boston. It ain't, if it was from Boston, it would be better. Um, it tastes better than it actually does. Sorry. I'm more a fan of the stuff from Kentucky, apparently. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> why did I even go there? Uh, it's beyond me. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that's what happens is that we have this problem or this worry, and here's what we do. We just put it on the rotisserie wheel in our mind. And we just think about it over and over and over and over and over. And we're thinking about it from every possible angle, every possible thing that we could that we could imagine could happen. And listen, all you're doing is meditating on the problem. And here's what the Bible says. If you want to live a life that doesn't have fear choking you, you've got to decide to do something different. You've got to decide now to instead redirect your focus and meditate on what? Meditate on God's word. That's what the Bible says in um, Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now think about that. A person who's blessed, here's what they do. They don't walk in the counsel of people of the wicked who are constantly talking about stuff that's negative, about all the problems potentially. They're not, you know what else they're not doing? They're not standing in the way of sinners. They're not actually in the way which everybody else goes. Like, are you going to trust God? Well, I was going to trust God, but everybody else seems to be doing that. I know they don't know God, but I'm probably going to go and do that too. Nor are they sitting in the seat of mockers. They're not taking in all the, this negative info. You know what they're doing? Their delight is in the Word of God. And what they're doing is they're just meditating and soaking in whatever it is that God has for them from the Scriptures. That's why I love how the Bible really describes what it means to meditate on something. It's kind of like a cow chewing the cud. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I know most of you probably don't live on a farm, uh, so I'll tell you what that means. When, it, when a cow eats grass, they don't just eat it and then swallow it like you know most uh, animals do. They actually take the grass, they eat it, they swallow it, then the gastric juices start working, and then they kind of regurgitate it up, and then they start chewing it some more, and then they swallow it, and then they bring it back up. And then they chew it some more, and then they go down, and then they bring it back up. And then they bring it down, and they bring, I mean, you're talking about six, seven, eight times they bring it up. They're trying to squeeze every possible nutrient out of that grass before it begins to start the full digestive process. That's exactly what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to just keep thinking, meditating, chewing, talking, explaining, understanding, learning, asking, anything that has to do with the Word of God. Why? Because that's what we begin to change our focus from the problem to the one who can solve the problem. You see, that's when trust begins. That's how we start living a life where we're not worried, but we start living a life of trust is when we start realizing, you know what? God is the one that's really in control, and that's the next thing. That if I need to number, if the second thing is I need to redirect my focus, I need to notice God's care. Here's the third one is I need to remember God's perspective. Remember God's perspective. Here's what he says in uh, Matthew chapter six. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. You see, worry and fear enter our lives, and here's the reason. 
The reason is because we start believing that our limited perspective is all that there is. We think about that. We start thinking, you and I have a limited perspective. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we start formulating as to what we think is going to happen. And then that this perception now becomes reality. And we start forgetting that God is the one that really knows everything. We start thinking that maybe we're the ones that know everything. And that's where the problems begin. In fact, a study was done that revealed like uh, the reasons that people worry. And here's, here's what they found. This is so fascinating to me. 50% of the stuff that people worry about. Here's what it was. 50% was worrying about future things that will never happen. You start thinking, you know, and you know how it happens. Maybe you're driving to work and you're like, oh, man, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to work and then they're going to fire me or they're going to tell me I got laid off. And then I'm not going to have money to pay the bills. And then somebody's going to get sick because I told them the news that that's just going to make them physically ill. Ulcer. Next thing you know, they're in the hospital. I don't have money to pay for that. So I end up selling all my possessions to pay the hospital bill. So then I can't pay my house. So now I'm in foreclosure. Now I can't. uh, I've sold everything. And now me and my whole family, we're living under a bridge. That's how it's going to happen. And then you pull up. You're still in your car. You see, you have a picture of your family. They're still all good. And then you walk into your job and you find out that everything's fine. Listen, that's what happens. Half of the stuff that we worry about is stuff that's never going to happen. Here's what the study also found. 30% of the stuff we worried about are things that are in the past that cannot be changed. Think about that. A lot of the stuff that we worry about, a third of what we worry about is stuff that cannot be changed. You can worry about what happened after the senior prom all you want. Listen, it was 20 years ago. It's over. It, it ain't going to change. No amount of worrying is going to change that. So you got to just let it go. Here's the other thing. 12%, 12% of the stuff we worry about, according to this study, is our medical issues that we think is stuff that's wrong with us that's not really wrong with us. That is, we, we wake up, we see something, oh my goodness, I'm dying, I can't believe it. And then you find out, oh, it's just a pimple, I'm okay. Um, that's 12%. So think about this, 50% future stuff never going to happen, 30% stuff that's in the past, 12% we think we're dying, it's only a pimple. Uh, and then here's what it is, 8% of the stuff that we worry about are actually legitimate concerns. So when you start worrying, just think to yourself, I've only got a 1 in 10 chance of this actually being real. Maybe that'll make you feel better. Uh, it makes me feel better. Uh, but I will tell you this. What God wants to definitely tell us to, for us to feel better is for us to remember this idea that God knows what we need before we even ask. You see, isn't that an amazing thought that we're focused on the problem and yet God already knows what it is that we need? And he actually knows better what we need better than we even do because of the limited perspective that we have. You see, the Christian that really trusts God, they start living their life in a way where they believe that God really is sovereign. Now you say, well, God's sovereignty, what, what does that mean? The idea of God's sovereignty just means that God is in control. That's what that, that idea is, that, that God is in control of everything that's taking place. If there's nothing happening, that's, he's like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. How did that take place? No, no, no. Everything that's happening is something that he is in control of and allowing to take place for whatever reason. And that's the struggle that each of us face. The struggle that we face is the struggle to say, will I really live my life in such a way to believe that God is the one that's in control? Or will I try to retain control for myself? Here's kind of how it looks in a practical way. Um, My wife and I just got back uh, from Disney World. It was her birthday last week, and so we went up there uh, to celebrate that. But um, at my my mom has this picture in in her house from when uh, her and Carrie and I 
went to Disney World a few years ago, and she liked the picture so much that uh, she asked us if, if, we, if she could have it. So we gave it to her, and so she has this now. Every time I go to her place, I see this picture of what it is to trust and not trust. Um, and here's what it is. You know how when you go on um, Splash Mountain, you're coming down, and then they take the picture of you, and then it's like you go out there, and it's like 85 bucks or something for the picture, however much they charge you. Um, some ridiculous amount of money for one photograph. And, uh, well, anyway, so we, we bought it, and here's what it is. It's like, uh, by the way, let me just say this. Uh, if you don't know, my wife loves roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. I am a person who loves the ground. I love the ground. I love the dirt. I'm, I'm just really, I'm, I'm happiest when my feet and the ground are connected together. So, anyway, that being that. So here's what happens is that my wife finally talks me into going on to Splash Mountain. This is, I think, the first year it opened. And so my wife is, like, so excited. And my feeling is, do you know that Disney had this built by the person who brought in the lowest bid? And um, so I don't know what you think about that as far as safety goes. But anyway, so we went on this. And, we, and she's like, we got to get in the front row because when you're in uh, on a roller coaster, that's even better. And I'm like, well, define better. Uh, so anyway, so here's what happens. So we get on the front row of this thing. And this is, by the way, guys, this is love in action right here. This is like for no one else would I do this. You know, you ask me, hey, let's do this. I'm going to tell you to take a hike. Uh, but anyway, so I do this for my wife. And, and then the, we're going down. Right. And then here's the picture that she has to have. The picture is her like this. And me like this. And here's the thing. You know what the funny part is? And I don't know why. Why is it that people that don't like roller coasters insist on holding the bar? As if that's actually going to help us. You know, so I'm like this. As if I'm actually holding this thing up in some way. Or holding it back from going full force. I'm tell- You know what it really is all about? Control. I-, I was telling my wife. I said, you know, they should just put like little steering wheels in there. Like that they do for kids. So all of us who don't like roller coasters, we can feel better. Like, turn the thing around, you know. Like we could start feeling better about things. But listen, to me, that was a perfect picture of what it looks like to trust and what it looks like to try to regain control in something that I have no control over. You see, a lot of times, can I just be real honest with you? A lot of times Christians are missing out on the ride that it is to follow Jesus. And here's the reason. It's because we forget that God is the one that's really in control. You see, when you're like, man, things are crazy. I don't know how it's going to work. We can just lift up our hands and just say, hey, I'm just going to enjoy the ride and see what God does because God has a way of showing up exactly when he's supposed to. Or I can just hold on to the bar and say, I'm not going to trust. I am going to do what I can to control this situation. And it just doesn't really work out. Here's what the book of Proverbs says. It says, the Lord has made everything for his, uh, has, uh, for his own purposes, even the wicked for the day of destruction. You see, God knows what you need, and that's reason enough to trust him. But here's the fourth one, and I believe this is so important, not just remember God's perspective. Number four is I need to act in faith. Act in faith. Here's how Jesus would put it. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want you to think about that. Um, This whole passage that we've been studying in Matthew chapter 6 is right in the middle of probably the greatest sermon that Jesus gave in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and what's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And here's the thing that happens is that sometimes it's like, well, you know, sometimes that sermon gets kind of diced up so much we don't realize, like, what was the whole theme that Jesus was talking about? That sermon begins in chapter 5, and it says this, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Jesus sat down and began to teach. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. And he goes on and on and on. And this idea of blessed, the word blessed just means, oh, how happy is. You see, Jesus starts this whole message, and here's what he's trying to tell people. Here's what it means to live if you want to be happy. If you want to be happy, here's the way to do it. And that's why he goes through everything that we need. If you want to be happy here on planet, here's what it takes. So he talks to us then about, uh, towards the, as he goes to chapter 5, uh, he talks about what it means to be right with God. Then he talks about the commands of God, and uh, you know, he says things like this, you've heard it said to those of old. You know, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I say unto you. And he starts taking out, outside, you know, commandments that are external and internalizing them to say it's not just about the outward. It's about what we do inwardly that really matters as well. And then he starts, he moves on in chapter 6 and he talks about how to pray and how to fast and how to give. And then he starts kind of taking all this. But then he talks about some other issue and then he starts talking. And says, and then he, that's when, when we started, it said, therefore, don't worry. Well, what is it that Jesus was talking about that would cause him to start having this whole conversation about worry? It's what he says here in chapter, in, uh, chapter 6. You'll see it in your notes in verse 19. The, the passage just before the one we began to read, it says this. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust eat, uh, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I want you to think about this. Jesus is talking about all this stuff leading up to about how to be happy. And then he comes to this area of finances, security, money, all this stuff. He talks about it. And then right after he says this, therefore, don't worry. Now, why? Because usually finances, security, job, all of that is where we put our trust and where we put our faith many times. And what Jesus is saying is, don't put your faith in that stuff. Put it in God. And that's why when you get to the end of this conversation, uh, when Jesus says, you know, therefore, don't worry. Just look at the birds. They're not worried. The grass of the field, they're not worried about how they're going to be clothed. Because God knows what you need before you even ask. And that's when he says at the end of that section, therefore, here's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and living righteously. And all these other things that you're, that you're worried about will be added unto you as well. Because what happens sometimes is this. What, 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 what begins to happen is we start worrying about all the other stuff. We start worrying about, well, what about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to live, all that kind of stuff, you know, all the money stuff. And then what, what about seeking first the kingdom? Well, I would like to get to that, but I've got to worry about all of this first. Well, what Jesus says is just the opposite. If you put the kingdom of God first, all these other things will be added to you as well. Now, why is this so important for us to bring up, especially in the times in which we're living? It's because everybody's freaking out about the stuff that Jesus says, this is not the stuff to worry about. The stuff to concern yourself with is putting the kingdom of God first and all these other things 
will be added unto you. You see, our natural reaction when it comes to like financial stuff is to hold on to the bar, not to simply enjoy the ride. We want to hold on to the bar to think we actually have some kind of control of things and think that, well, if I just hold on to it and kind of do things the way I want to do them, that I, what I'll end up doing is, helping, is, is help myself when in actuality we end up hurting ourselves and showing a lack of trust and faith in God. You see, here's what I know about each of us is that right now we probably need God in our financial world now more than ever. And I really believe that this is the opportunity that we have as the people of God and as the church to show up in our world in a way that where this could be our finest hour. Now, how is that? Because when everybody else is freaking out about stuff, we can actually have a quiet confidence in what it is that God is going to do. A trust that God is going to provide for us in ways that we never even dreamed possible. And so what I want to do as we close is I want to talk to you about five things that I think are really important. And, and, and I want to just be honest with you that in a few of these things, I, I really struggled with how it is that I wanted to share, share them with you. Um, I, I want you guys to know something is um, how much I care about all of you. I mean, some of you I know more than others, but um, I pray for you guys often. I think of you constantly. And um, I wanted to share some things from my heart and... Yet, I know that some of the things that I'm going to share with you might come off as like a a tough truth. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you for the last few minutes that we have the same way that I would talk to you if you were sitting at my dining room table and we were just talking about stuff and we were just maybe having a cup of coffee together and you were sharing some things and and I would be able to have the opportunity to maybe speak into your life for a moment. Because I believe that these things that... um, that I'm going to share with you, and you, you know, it's like, man, that was, sometimes it might be a tough pill to swallow, but here, here's what I know. I think you need me right now to be more honest than you need me to, well, just be nice. I, I'm going to be, try to be as nice as I can, but I need to be as honest as I can um, with you. Because the last thing that I want is for us as the church to look like everybody else. When everybody else is freaking out and, and going crazy and worrying and fearful of all the things that are happening, when instead we can live with trust and confidence and faith in what, what it is that God is going to do. What would that look like? What, would it look, what could it look like in our lives uh, if, if we showed the world in which we live in that we trusted God? I believe it was, it's five areas, and, and I have them there in your notes. It's what I call the start-stop list. Here's what it is. Here's the first one. Start honoring God. Start honoring God. You see, if you want God to bless your finances, you've got to let him in. And it's kind of an odd thing that happens because a lot of times we'll invite God into many areas of our lives. But when it comes, usually like the financial area tends to be one of the last ones. Now, here's what I think is really, really important. Um, A lot of times we'll shut God out. And then when things begin to blow up and we'll say, oh, God, I need you to show up and I don't have money for this or the mortgage or the car payment or whatever. God, I need you to come in. Listen, God will honor the decision that we've made. If we say, God, I don't want you to be part of this, I'm going to handle it. You know what? When when things get tough, God is going to honor that decision. And here's what I know is that all of us need God in our financial world now more than ever. Uh, we did a series uh, a couple of months ago that we called Go Green. And the idea was how to live God's way financially. And I'm not going to cover everything that we shared on that. You can get the CDs at the Resource Center. But here's what I do think is really important. Um, we issued a challenge to people. 
And the challenge, we called it the 90-day tithe challenge. We said, if you tithe for 90 days, the tithe is you say, I'll take 10% of what I make, what God says to, to return to him. And, and this was the challenge, that we'll be able to see God do more with 90% than you and I have the ability to do with 100. And here's what happened. It's like, because I hear about things all the time. I hear about, you know, pray for me, my home is in foreclosure. Pray for me, my car got repossessed. You know, pray for me, I'm having to take my kids out of the school they're in until send them to another school because we can't afford it and all this kind of stuff. And yet here's what I found with people that started taking the tithe challenge and people that are putting God first, seeking the kingdom of God first in their financial world. I'm, I'm hearing about people getting laid off and you know what happens? People take the tithe challenge and they send me emails like, I started the tithe challenge on Sunday and on Monday I got promoted. You know, people in my, at my work are getting laid off and I got a raise. How does that even work? You know, I didn't know how this was going to work, but I started giving, and now my company decided to start giving me a car allowance. What is that all about? It's what God does when we decide to let him in, and we decide to start honoring him. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that happens. Um, many of us are familiar with Proverbs chapter five, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, right? You know, uh, trust God with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. But I want to actually read the whole passage, that whole paragraph, and I, and I want you to see what happens, what, he, what is really being talked about in this idea of trusting God. Here's what he says in Proverbs 3. It's in your notes. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. And your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. Isn't that an amazing thing? We says trust God. Trust God with the choices that you make, with the things that you do. So run from evil and live God's way. But also trust God with what? Trust him and honoring by giving him the very best. Giving him the first 10%. And you know what you'll find? Is that your barns are going to burst. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to watch God bless you beyond what you could possibly imagine. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to spend tons of time on this. But if you say, you know what? I've got to let God into my financial world. On the back of your connection card, it says take the 90-day tithe challenge. If you want to do that, I'm going to encourage you to do it. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, try to convince you of it or whatever. If you want to do it, Go ahead and do it. I believe it will make all the difference. And you know what you'll find? You know, we want to partner with you. And so if you put your address on there, we'll mail you a book that's called The Treasure Principle, which is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, it's maybe like 100 pages, but it's a fantastic book that talks about what God, how God uses um, finances in our life to build our faith and how God blesses us um, and all of that. But I want, to, I want to move on and talk about a couple other things. Here's the second one. This is one of the tougher ones. Number two is stop living a lie. Stop living a lie. Listen, lots of people are driving around in cars they can't afford. They're under a mortgage that they can't handle and are living off of credit cards. And here's the reason. You've been living a lie. You've been living way beyond your means because... You're trying to either impress someone or you're trying to delude yourself into thinking that you either make more than you make or, you're, or, or, or something else. Listen, it's truth time. It's time to stop. 
It's time to stop living a lie and start living in reality by starting to live within your means. The way you stop living a lie is by living in reality, the cash reality. Because, friends, here's the deal. Just because you get approved for it doesn't mean you can afford it. Just because the bank says, we'll give you up to this, this amount to be able to buy a house. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, I didn't think I could afford it. But if the bank says no, that doesn't mean you can afford it. That just means that's what the bank is willing to loan you. And what we have to decide is, say, well, we'll give you up to this much. Listen, that's irrelevant. What we need to try to do is say, what is it that I can actually afford, which is usually less than we get approved for? And so what we have to do is say, listen, I'm not going to live in the fantasy of what it is that they want to, to give me. I need to live in the reality of what it is that I can afford. And here's what that means. That means is if I can't pay cash for it, we don't buy it. That means that we have to get on a budget. That means that you've got to sell the stuff that you can't afford. But, Bob, this is my dream car. You don't understand. I've wanted this car for so long, and now I have it even though it's you know, going to put me under. And, and, and listen... You've got to stop living a lie. You've got to sell the car because you can't, if you can't afford it. If you say, well, I, you know, the mortgage and, and all this, here's what the, listen, if you, you're not, you know, it's going to be tough to sell a home right now. And if you can't sell it, then here's what you've got to do. You know, those two extra bedrooms that you bought because you thought, you know, hey, maybe I'll need them someday uh, because, you know, I bought it because, hey, why not? The, the bank said I could approve, you know, they approved me for it. Here's what you do. You take those two bedrooms, you clean them out, you get a couple of college students and you have them come move in with you and they start paying rent every month. Oh, but. Pastor, I never wanted somebody else to live in my house. I just wanted me and my family to live in my house. Listen, if you don't start making changes soon, someone else is going to be living in your house, except you're not going to be living there as well. So you've got to make a decision that says, listen, this is a hard decision to make, but it's one that's rooted in reality, not one that's found somewhere in fantasy. Here's what the Bible says. God gives out wisdom free. Is plain spoken in knowledge and understanding. He's a gold mine of common sense to those who live well, a personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. He keeps his eye on all who live honestly and pays special attention to his loyally committed ones. On, the, on your connection card, here's what it says um, on the second column it says, establish a personal budget. If you check that off, you make sure you have your email address on there. I will send you my the, the budget sheet, the Excel spreadsheet that I've been using for the last 10 years. And let me just say, this is the time to start planning. Excuse me, start planning your budget for 2009. Don't get into like March and say, so how are we going to spend all this money now that a third of the year is gone? Instead, what you do is this. Before the year starts, you start planning. Say, this is how much I make. This is how I can live. And if there's a negative amount, then you've got to start cutting things to start making your budget work. Here's the third one. Start getting out of debt. Start getting out of debt. Listen, do you know who's feeling the most of this financial crisis? It's people who have overextended themselves financially. If you're upside down in a mortgage and you're upside down in, 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 a, in a car loan and you're upside down in all, in all this unsecured credit card debt, listen, you're feeling the pressure of this even more. And here's what, it, what, what we have to do. We've got to take radical steps, radical steps to get to a place where we're, where we're out of debt. You say, listen, I'm, I'm committed to paying the minimum. You'll be paying the minimum the rest of your life. 
You've got to take some radical steps to be able to get out of debt to get financially free. And that's the thing that's so important. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in Psalm 37. It says, The wicked borrow and do not, rep- uh, do not repay, but the righteous live generously. Now here's what we're going to do. And... Um, because I know, I know some of you might say, Bob, you can send me a budget, but I need help. I need help to, in how to put this together. I need an outside perspective from someone who knows something about money, who knows something about God's principles, uh, for me to get on track. And here's what we're going to do. Um, if you check off this box that says receive financial counseling, and you have your info on the front, we're going to call you. This week, so make sure it's a number like, oh, it's not, I never checked that. Maybe it's just like your cell phone or a number that you pick up. And if you say that this is what I want, not like, oh, yeah, whatever. This is if you're serious. If you're serious and say, I really want help, you check that off. We're going to have one of our trained financial counselors call you and you can come in and, and, and meet with them. And they're going to help you and uh, to, to get on track if you're serious. So I, 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 we put that out there as something that we want to do for you. We don't charge for this, but it's something that if you're willing to invest the time and invest in your own life, we're willing to make the investment in you. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is stop waiting for someone else to fix it. Stop waiting for someone else to fix it. Listen, I'm telling you, People who are sitting around waiting for the government to bail them out, I think are going to be in for a rude awakening. Oh, no, the government has a plan. Yes, they also had another plan called the DMV. You ever been there? It's a total disaster. Why? Because just about everything the government does is a disaster. And so do we really want that? Like, oh, they're going to fix my problem. Listen, have you heard of Social Security? You know, big problems. Medicare, Medicaid, problem. Pretty much everything the government puts its hand in becomes a problem. Have you heard of Iraq? Okay. Uh, sorry. But here's the thing that happens. The issue is this. And this is, I, once again, this is all not just part of a, a decision that we make right now. It's a mindset that we have to have. A lot of times, we make poor choices and then we expect someone else to bail us out. And this is really what this whole bailout plan is. Wall Street, terrible choices. Now the American taxpayers have to pay it. Somehow we've gotten into, into the idea that we privatize gains but socialize losses. Now I'm talking politics, sorry. Um, here, here, but here's what needs to happen. If we want our situation to turn around, if I've made bad choices that have gotten me into trouble, here's how we get out, by making good choices. That's how we get out of the problem and, and, and the position in which we're in. We have to start making good choices. So, so you know what that means? You say, well, what I make can't pay the bills. Here's what you have to do. You don't wait for the government to do something. You start investing in your own life and your own skills. And you say, I'm going to develop some new skills. You know why? Because if I develop new skills and I become proficient, even more proficient in the area in which I have expertise, or I become even more proficient, uh, I become proficient in another area, now I start raising my value in the workplace. And so should the time come where they need to cut some jobs at your work, they're going to look at you and say, listen, this is a person who has been constantly improving. That's the big... I'm over time. Let me just say this real quick and I'm going to move on. Here's the thing that happens. A lot of times we have a certain level of qualification to get a job. We get the job and then we never improve from there. 
What an employer is looking, a person that they want to keep long-term, is the person who never stops growing and never stops improving in their job and in their vocation and in their career. You want to keep getting better? You want to become a person who's indispensable in your company and that doesn't get laid off? Here's what you do. You keep investing in your life and in in the skills in which God has given you. The Bible says it this way, to fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. God's given you a spark. He's given you a gift and a talent. It's our responsibility to now fan that into flame. And whatever it is, the gifting that he's given to us, continue to study, continue to learn, and then you know what's going to happen? You're not going to find yourself in the place where you, are, where you may be now. Instead, in the future, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be in a place much better because you've made the investment in yourself and now you're seeing the reward pay off. Here's how the Bible puts it. It says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Don't wait for somebody to bail you out. Discover how God has gifted you. Fan into flames the gift that God's given you, and you will see through good decisions how God is able to begin to erase poor decisions that have been made. Three minutes. That's all I'm asking for as we close, as I give you number five. Number five is start helping people in need. Start helping people in need. I believe that this could be our finest hour as a church and as the church worldwide because as this crisis is happening and it's happening all over the globe, here's the thing that's that's taking place. This is the opportunity where people are going to be asking questions, wondering where God is, how God could possibly help in, I believe, unprecedented numbers. And this is the opportunity for us as the church to shine the brightest. How can we do that? Listen, by getting the message of the gospel out and by practically helping people and meeting needs. And that's why we're starting this thing that we're calling the Acts, uh, the 1-8 uh, offering. Uh, in your program, uh, you got this envelope. I'm going to encourage you to take it out for just a second. And here's what, what, how I'm going to challenge each and every one of us. Say, well, what is 1-8? What, is what does that mean? This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And here's where we we take that, is that the the, the disciples were in Jerusalem, so that was their starting place. We're in Miami, that's our starting place. And then they go out to the bigger area, which is Judea. That would be like South Florida for us. And then, you know, it would be... um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, maybe the United States, and then the uttermost parts of the earth would continue to be the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's what's taking place. And here's why I think this is really, really important. Um, We have the opportunity this upcoming year to reach more people than we ever have in our city. We have the opportunity to invest in the next generation by upgrading our children's ministry, by investing in our youth ministry. Listen, do you know our youth ministry is exploding? Uh, there's something like 200 kids that call that youth ministry home. And here's the thing that's happened. They can't fit one more kid in the place where they're meeting. We as a church have to invest in that ministry so that uh, they can move to a different location so we can find, so we can continue to reach people. Because don't think that just because that um, a crisis a personal crisis that parents are experiencing is not going to trickle down into what's happening in the lives of, of high school students. There's about 12,000 high school students just in the, this three, four-mile radius. 
That means we have a responsibility to reach out. And, we, and, and what we have to do is say, you know what, this is going to take something a little bit above and beyond what we normally do. And so we, and we, have, to, and so we have to invest uh, in, in, in that ministry. It's also by supporting the work of evangelism. I talk to a lot of pastors, I teach a lot of pastors, and, and here's what I'm hearing. Guys that are going out in different parts of the world to start churches, um, many are planting several churches, missionaries that are in places you and I would never want to go, but they've committed their lives to going there. You know what they're seeing? Many of them are seeing because this financial crisis is hitting, a lot of times people decide, um, well, things are a little tight, I'm going to cut my giving which is what we were talking about before. I'm going to cut my giving to God uh, because I'm just hoping that uh, I'll be able to take care of it myself and hold on to the bar. Well, here's what's been happening in some places. Uh, I'm talking to some missionaries and, and church planners and all that. They're seeing their support cut by almost 40% of people who've been affected. And here's, and here's what we want to do as a church. When a lot of people are throttling back and stepping back, as a church, we want to step up. And we want to let these people know that are doing the work of the kingdom all over the world, people that are working with those that have HIV AIDS, working in areas of Africa that you and I would never even want to set foot in, much less live there and raise their family there. People that are in other parts of our country um, devoting their lives to reaching their city. When other people are throttling back, we want to step up. And here's what we want to say. We believe in you. We believe in the work of the kingdom that you're doing. And we are, when everybody, if everybody else is going to go away, we're not. We're going to stay here, and we're going to continue to support you, maybe even more because others haven't. And then here's what we also have. We have an opportunity because there are those, even with, it, with the members in our own church, that are going through crisis. And here's what we have to understand, is that part of what we want to be able to raise is so that we can fully fund our benevolence ministry for 2009, so that, because, because here's what we believe, is that with everything that's going on, we're probably going to see more requests for benevolence and assistance than we have in years past. Because that's just the state of the world in which it's in. And so we want to be prepared and ready to help those uh, who have a need. What is, this, what is this going to take? I believe it's going to take about $25,000 for us to be able to do this. And that's not a ton for a church our size. You know, there's about a thousand people that call this place home, which I give glory to God to because we started this church, my wife and I, and five people. And it's amazing what God has done. But here's what I know, is that if every single one of us say, listen, maybe I can't solve the whole problem, but I can do something. I can just start saying, but hey, I can, I can help somebody uh, who's in need. We can see God do something amazing during this time. You see... I believe that right now is the time for us to show the rest of the world how much we trust God. I don't believe this is a time for the church to be stingy. I think this is the time for the church to be generous. We've always thought to be a generous church, and we want to continue being a generous church. Because we have the opportunity to really do what the church is supposed to do. It's not just a place where we come and sing songs, we meet people, we have make friends, we learn stuff about the Bible. That's important. But there's another side of it, too. It's a place where we show the rest of the world the way that we live. And we say, Jesus Christ has forgiven us, has saved us. And because of that, we want to live in the kind of way that shows that we trust Him. The last verse in your outline says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. 
the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. And those who help others are blessed, are helped. So here's what I'm asking each of us to do. I'm asking each and every one of us, you can take this packet. Um, there's a letter for me. The, second, the next two pages are an overview of, what we're, of this whole strategy and what we're going to do with this offering. The last two pages are frequently asked questions. But I want to draw your attention, uh, your attention to this offering envelope, which looks a little bit different. And what this is going to do is you can actually, if you say, I want to give, you know, this is what I normally give, but I want to give above and beyond that uh, to this 1-8 offering. You'll see in the amount, it's there in red. You say, I want to give to this Acts 1-8, this 1-8 offering, because I want to see this take place. I, I want to see the work of the gospel continue. Listen, I want you to understand that this is not, this is not about us. This is about us caring about others enough to be able to sacrifice a little bit on our part so people are able to see how much Jesus Christ has sacrificed for them. That's, to me, what I believe is so amazing about this opportunity that we have. Because we have the opportunity to live one of two ways. What we saw, where lack of faith produces a chokehold, or live a life of faith that produces freedom, trust, and an experiential knowledge of God as we enjoy the ride that he has us on. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for the fact that you have sacrificed so much for us. You gave the life of your son for us to be forgiven. And because you've sacrificed so much for us, you call us to a life of sacrifice. God, in the world in which we live, so many people are living in fear, living in worry and doubt. But God, you want us to live with faith, hope, and love. Help us to model that. Help us to walk in that. May our walk reflect our talk. And God, may you help us. May you reach people that are far from you, that need to know you, in unprecedented numbers through this time that we're going through. God, may this be our finest hour as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.